got your Bible, go ahead and open to 2 Kings chapter 22. Uh, We're going to kick off a new series called Go Green this morning. And as we do, uh, I just want to share a story that actually happened to me this week. Um, As I'm cutting the grass, and and so this is, you know, me being that goofy dad, right? Like I'm out cutting the grass. And uh, I I was very blessed when I first moved into my house because we had a, a family here. I had a landscaping company. And so when I first got my house back in 2006, uh, this guy comes to me and he says, hey, don't worry about cutting your grass. We're going to take care of it. So for like the first three years that I was in my house, I didn't have to cut my grass once. Uh, This landscaping company cut my grass, trimmed it, edged it. Like my yard looked awesome. And I didn't do anything. I didn't even have to buy a lawnmower. Uh, So then he moved to Colorado uh, and no more free lawn mowing for Troy. Uh, And so uh, for a couple years, I kind of just paid like a neighbor kid or one of the youth kids to come over and cut it. And finally we got to the point, it's like, all right, we need to buy a lawnmower. So we were, we were looking for lawnmowers, and we didn't like the prices that we were finding. And, uh, and then another family from City Church moved, and they moved to Nashville. And one of the things they had at their moving sale was a lawnmower listed for 100 bucks. And so I was like, man, I need to get this. So I messaged them. I was like, hey, can I get your lawnmower? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. So I came over, and I was, came to pick it up, handed them a $100 bill, and they handed me the $100 bill back and said, it's on us. You go take your wife to a nice dinner. So we went to Melting Pot, and we got a lawnmower. Awesome. <laughs> Awesome, great deal, right? Uh, so this is about, I don't know, three years ago or so. So I start cutting our grass. Uh, and we don't have a, a large yard, but I'm not good at cutting the grass like every week. Sometimes it might be two weeks. Sometimes it might be two and a half weeks. Uh, so sometimes the grass is pretty nasty. And sometimes there's, it takes a little bit of muscle to push the lawnmower through. And so I usually, I don't really look forward to it. Like I cut grass when I was a kid. That was my way to raise money for youth trips and stuff that I was doing. I cut all the neighbor's grass. So I was like, I've grown out of this. Like I'm beyond this point in my life. Now I have a son. So Judah, by the time he's like three, he's going to be cutting the grass. Um, but uh, just wait until he's a little strong enough to push it. No, uh, it'll be soon though. Uh, so, so last year at the end uh, of the year, the last time that I cut the grass last year, um, I, I made an, an interesting discovery about our lawnmower and then put it in the garage and forgot all about it. So we got it out of the garage again this year um, and cut the grass a couple of times earlier in the year. And so then here I am, I don't know, Monday night, Tuesday night, whatever night it was this week, where I'm cutting the grass, and, and I had this epiphany again. So, so I'm pushing through the grass, and again, it's gotten kind of high because it's rained a lot. You know, it's, it's a little difficult. And I realized, oh my gosh, how did I forget about this? Our lawnmower has a self-propel function. Some of you guys, like, saw this coming. So for three years, I've been pushing a lawnmower I didn't have to push. <laughs> Um, idiot. I got a couple pictures. I don't know if we got them back there. If you've got one, go ahead. And, okay, so here's our lawnmower. That's the, the further view. Go ahead and go to the next one. That'll show. So here we see. You can see it's upside down, but it says six-speed power-propelled drive right there on the handle. Now, how is your pastor so dumb that he didn't realize this? That's a great question, uh, a very legitimate one. Uh, two things. Number one, when I cut grass as a kid, we didn't have this. Uh, and, and so when we bought this mower, I didn't even know this was a thing, right? Like, I didn't even realize this was, like, something you could do. Every lawnmower I've ever had, you had to push because we had, like, the Kmart version, uh, like the cheapest one you could get. So I had no idea this was even a possibility. And number two, I'm just dumb and I don't read. Uh, like, Americans, were really bad at reading stuff. Like, if you've ever worked in a restaurant, you know, it doesn't matter how many signs you have, people don't read the signs. So I'm that guy, apparently. I didn't realize I was, but apparently 
Apparently I am. I don't read. So I've been pushing this thing for three years with it right there, like three inches from my hand, six-speed self-propelled. So at the end of last year, I finally figured it out the last time I cut the grass, and then over the winter, I forgot. So... I'm doing this, and, and I have this, I'm like halfway through, and, and I'm pushing, and I've got these obstacles and all this stuff, and I finally realize it, and I kick this thing on, and it just, just takes off. I'm like having to hold the lawnmower back. I have to like downshift, because this thing is like rocket propelled through my front yard, and, and it like trip, or like cuts the time in a third how long it takes to cut the grass. It cuts the effort down probably like a tenth, like there's like no effort involved at all. All I have to do is get up, fire the thing up, make sure it's got gas and oil in it and it pretty much does the rest just like steer it it's amazing i had this function under my nose all this time and i didn't even realize it so we're gonna spend the next three weeks in this series called go green and our whole focus for this series is to get us spiritually healthy i believe that anything that is healthy grows And if you are not growing right now spiritually, that means that there's something that's not healthy. There's something that needs to be addressed, something that needs to be fixed. If we as a church are not growing in different seasons, chances are there's something that's not healthy. Now, growth in a church is not one, it's two-dimensional, right? So there's both numerical growth and there's spiritual growth. Uh, and there's different seasons. Last summer, like Jimmy said, we were in a series, uh, a season of numerical growth. We launched a second service. We went through a season of numerical growth. We've kind of been in a season where things have kind of steadied out, and, and that's okay as long as we're also in a season of spiritual growth. But if we're in a season where, where the church isn't growing numerically and our people aren't growing spiritually, then something's wrong. And so I just felt like God laid it on my heart. Let's take the next three weeks before Dad Fest, before we make our next big push to grow and go out to our community, let's get ourselves right with God. Let's make sure that, that we're in a good place, that we're growing, that we're healthy, because I believe there's a new wave of, of numerical growth coming. And if God's bringing more people here, then we need to be spiritually healthy to help those people get connected, to help them grow, to help them meet Jesus. Amen? Amen. So we're going to look at a story in 2 Kings chapter 22 that, that I think will make sense to you as we go through it. It's one of my favorite stories in scripture. It's a, a story that as a youth pastor was kind of one of those go-to stories that you love to fire up young people about. Because it starts out with a guy becoming king at eight years old. And so it's a great message to, to give to young people about how God can use you no matter how young you are. That, and, you know, like we, we've always heard this statement in Christianity, like, well, young people are the church of tomorrow. And I also always say, no, you're not the church of tomorrow. You're the church of today. You got an opportunity right now to follow Jesus. You got an opportunity right now to plug in. You got an opportunity right now to share your faith. You're not the church of tomorrow. You're the church of today. And so we're not going to go that angle with it this morning, we're going to go into an even, I think, more important angle as we read the story of Josiah, starting in Second Kings chapter 22. It says that Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidah, daughter of Adiah. She was from Bascath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or the left. What an awesome epitaph. What an amazing statement to be made about an individual that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He did not turn aside to the right or the left. I want God one day to be able to say that about me. That Troy did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. 
verse 3, in the 18th year of his reign, so now Josiah, 18 years later, he's, he's 25, 26 years old, uh, King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan, son of Isaiah, the son of Meshullam, to the temple of the Lord. He said, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrust it to the men appointed to supervise the work of the temple. And have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, and the masons. Also have them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple. But they need not account for the money entrusted to them because they are honest in their dealings. Hilkiah the priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And let me give you a little context here. Josiah became king roughly in the year 640 BC. Some Bible scholars say 641, some say 640, but, but somewhere right around the year 640 BC. And at this point in time, the nation that he was king of, which by the way is not Israel, he was the king of an, an, another nation named Judah. Judah was the, the southern kingdom uh, after the Israel split into two halves. So the northern kingdom was still known as Israel. The southern kingdom was known as Judah. Judah was not in a good place at this point in time. Uh, the the Kingdoms had split about 300 years before this. And for the 200 years after that, the first 200 years, Judah did all right. Israel did really bad. In fact, Israel did so badly that God judged them and gave them into the hands of the Assyrians. So Assyria comes in and takes Israel off into captivity. So Israel doesn't even exist by the time Judah comes to the, or by the time Josiah comes to the throne here. Judah, Israel's been gone for 100 years. But now Judah is following in Israel's footsteps. Uh, in fact, uh, Josiah's grandfather was a man named Manasseh. Manasseh ruled over Judah for 55 years, and he was a very, very wicked king, a very wicked ruler. In fact, the Bible tells us some things about Josiah's grandfather. In 2 Kings chapter 21, 9, it says this, since the people did not listen, Manasseh led them astray so that they did more evil than the nations that God had destroyed before the Israelites. So in other words, they were more evil in Judah under Manasseh's leadership than, than the Canaanites had been that God had to wipe out to establish Israel. Uh, then it gives us some specifics of the things that Manasseh did. It says that he sacrificed one of his sons in the fire. That's just a mind-blowingly awful thing. I can't even imagine being at that point. Uh, he reinstituted polytheistic worship in Judah. Uh, he consulted mediums and spiritists, and he was such a ruthless ruler that 2 Kings 21.16 says this about him. It says that he shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end. So he's a ruthless, wicked king. If you oppose him, if you're against him, he's going to have you slaughtered. He's going to have you publicly killed. He fills Jerusalem with the blood of innocent men and women. It's an awful, awful person. He ruled for 55 years. Now, when he finally passed away, uh, after leading Israel to, to worship false gods, his son comes to the throne, and his son's name uh, was Amon. And Amon was Josiah's father. Amon was just as bad as Manasseh. In fact, the Bible says that he completely followed in his father's footsteps. Uh, but he only reigned for two years because the people were, were so oppressed for so long that it was actually Amon's officials, they rose up and they assassinated him. Like, we can't do this anymore. We're not doing another 55 years of this wickedness. So they assassinated Amon, and that's why Josiah became king at eight years old. Eight years old, all of a sudden, this kid who, who's inherited a kingdom that, that, that now has suffered so much loss of innocent blood, 
that is worshiping multiple false gods, even in the temple of the Lord, that is prostituting themselves in awful ways, that is doing child sacrifice, that's completely turned against God's call for the nation. Josiah gets control at eight years old. Good luck, kid. Uh, and, And Josiah was different than his grandfather. He was different than his father. He had a great heart after the Lord. He inherits this wicked kingdom, but he wants to begin doing things the right way. And so here at the tender age of probably 26 years old, he decides we need to begin repairing the temple of the Lord. If our nation is gonna turn back to God, one of the things that we need is we need a place to worship. And we need to get this place fixed up. It's gone through decay over the last 60 years. It's been neglected. It's had some awful things done in it. We need to get this temple back the way it's supposed to be. So he sends his secretary, a man named Shaphan, to, to the high priest Hilkiah, or Hilkiah, and he tells Hilkiah, hey, we need to build this place back up. We need to get it fixed. We're going into all out. We're sparing no expense, no resource. We're getting the temple back so that we could get the nation back. And in the process of following these orders, Hilkiah finds something. He discovers something as he's fixing the temple, and he discovers the book of the law, the scriptures that have been handed down to the Israelites from Moses. They'd been lost for some time. Bible scholar Charles Ellicott says that it was lost right around 50 years. 50 years where the nation, the people of God, the chosen people had no access to the word of God. Can you imagine what America would be like if we went 50 years where nobody read the Bible? 50 years where nobody preached the word? What, where would America be in 50 years from now if we went five decades with no access to the word of God? We'd be in pretty bad shape. That's where Judah was. They were lost. They were completely far from God. And this is where they're at, and they discover the book of the law. So here comes King Josiah pushing and working and struggling and trying and straining to get Judah back where it needs to be in his own strength, in his own power, desiring we've got to get there. There's got to be a way for us to be the people that God's called us to be but he just can't seem to push through the wickedness of the culture. And then they find the book. I think spiritually, we're probably a lot more like the people of Judah than we'd like to admit. You see, unlike the people of Judah, we have great access to the word of God. We have the word of God on our phones. We have the word of God on our laptops. We have the word of God. I think the average American family has like eight Bibles in their house. Like we've got the word of God everywhere but there's a great neglect of the word in our lives. There's so many of us who don't open the book, who don't know what the book says, who aren't aware uh, of the strength and the power and the propulsion that the book can provide if we actually feed ourselves on it. You see, just like I was pushing a lawnmower in my own strength that had the ability to push itself, I wonder how many Christians, good people, People in this room today, if we were really honest, would say, man, I'm pushing against the storms of life. I'm pushing against the challenges in my family. I'm pushing and straining and and trying so hard to get through the things that I'm facing, and I feel like I'm just not really getting anywhere. I feel like, like, like I'm just giving all that I have, and I'm not discovering victory. I'm not walking in God's best. I look at the things that happen in the word of God and I look at my life and I say, it's so far away from from what they experienced. And I think one of the reasons why so many of us are at that place is because we're not tapping into the power that's right there 
three inches from our hand. We're not kicking that thing into gear and allowing it to push us forward. Now, I'm not saying that the word of God is going to mean you don't have any problems. I'm not saying that the word of God is going is to handle everything magically for you. What I am saying is it's an engine that gives you the strength to move through the things that you're facing. And how many of us just don't have the strength to face the discouragement of life, to face the, the persecution from those who don't know God, to face the, the, the challenges that come with losing a loved one, to face the struggles of life, so many of us feel like we don't have the strength, and I think it's because we're just not clicking that thing on that we have right under our noses. You see, the book of the law was in Judah the whole time. It was there. It never left. They just left the book, and that's why their nation got so bad. That's why things deteriorated so greatly. That's why they turned so far from God, and wickedness reigned, and, and innocent people were dying, and everybody felt oppressed, and people were depressed. All that stuff happened because the book had been neglected. And I wonder how many of God's people are walking through a whole lot of junk we don't have to face, or are stuck in some stuff that we should have left behind years ago because we simply have neglected and if we would simply open that thing, if we would simply kick it into gear, we would see that it has the power, it has the strength, it has the wisdom, it has the guidance to propel us through the challenges, the struggles, the pains, and the difficulties of life. So as we continue in the story of Josiah today, I want to show you five things that we must do as we rediscover the book. I think there's some people in this room today that need to rediscover the book. And maybe that means you haven't read your Bible in two weeks. Maybe it means you haven't read your Bible in two years. Maybe it means you're a Christian, but you've never really read your Bible at all. I believe that God is calling us today to rediscover the book. And as we do, here's five things that we must do as we begin to, to reacquaint ourselves with it. Picking back up in 2 Kings 22, it says, Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan who read it. Number one thing that we must do is we must read the book. In fact, I'm going to put these in the first person so that you can preach this to yourself because I think we all need to preach it to ourselves. So number one point if you're taking notes is I must read the book. In fact, I'm not just going to tell you to read the book. I'm going to help you to do that. If our, our ushers can come forward, uh, we've got a reading plan that we want to provide you with. Uh, it, it's a 21-day reading plan. It's the 21 days that we're in this series. Uh, and it's one chapter a day in the book of John. John, conveniently enough, is 21 chapters. God did that for us nicely. So we got three weeks in this series j just to, to help us to rediscover the book, to help us, man, maybe you need a kickstart. Maybe you, you've been just feeling guilty because you know you've not been in the Bible and you just don't know where to start. Well, here's a kickstart for you. We're going to start together reading the Bible. And now notice on, on your reading plan as you get it, May 29th, that's today, is John chapter 1. So in other words, I, I'm not giving you a reading plan that you're going to start next week or you're going to start tomorrow. If you go make it to tomorrow without starting, chances are you're not going to start. Like, we're going to take ownership of this today. In fact, I read John chapter 1 this morning myself, so I've already got the first box checked, so I'm ahead of you, haha. -ha. Um, but uh, you guys have plenty of time today to read one chapter. Now, you can read this as a family. You can read it as a couple. You can read it one-on-one. -on -one. I'm going to leave that up to you. If you've already got a reading plan that you're doing, I'd encourage you to, to just supplement with this, just to add it to it. You know what? I'm already reading something else. I'm going to read John with my church family as well. Um, and one thing that we, we did something kind of similar uh, a year, year and a half ago, 
and we shared videos and testimonies and things online. Here's what God showed me in this chapter, and we had a hashtag for it. So we're going to do the same thing. We had a lot of success with that. So if God speaks to you in John 1 today or John 2 tomorrow or John 4 later this week, whatever it might be, feel free and post that. Uh, on whatever social media channel you prefer with the hashtag GoGreenCCOB. We're going to encourage each other. We're going to grow together. We're not just going to do this by ourselves. We're going to grow together. But we must read the book. As soon as they found the book, they opened the book. They didn't say, man, we found this book. We're going to have to do, look into that next year. Right? They, they didn't put it off. They didn't procrastinate it. They discovered something, the book of the law, and immediately, as soon as Shaphan got his hands on it, he started reading it. Now for us, it's not necessarily that you don't know where your Bible is, although some of us may not know where our Bible is, uh, but, but I think it's much more that we're just not taking advantage of the opportunity to read it. So start allowing it to propel you through the challenges of life. Verse 9, then Shaphan the secretary went to the king and reported to him, your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. So not only does Shaphan read the book himself immediately when he gets a hold of it, but then he brings it to King Josiah and reads it to him immediately. He doesn't say, hey, king, I need to set up a meeting with you. What's next month look like? Some information you might need to have. He, he realizes the urgency of the book. And I wonder how many of us as Christians, it's not that we don't think the Bible is important, we just think other things are more urgent. And every day, something else is more urgent. Something else is more important. It's, oh, I know the Bible is important. I place a high value on the Word of God. I want to be in the Word. But here's what's going on with my kid, and here's what's going on in this TV show, in this series, in this basketball game, or, or whatever, and I'm preaching to myself. But, but I think we need to rediscover the urgency of the word of God. Shaphan gets the book and he reads it immediately. He appears before the king and he reads it immediately. What would your family look like if you had that kind of urgency to be in the word? What if every day we had an urgency? I need to be in the word today, not next week, not next Sunday, not next time I get to hear a sermon, not the next time that a reading plan gets passed out at church, but I'm gonna be in the word today. There's an urgency that, that, that can kickstart some amazing things in our life. Verse 11, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes immediately, responds to the word. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Akbor, son of Micaiah, Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that's been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. So, so number one, we must read the book. I must read the book. Number two, I must repent for the ways I haven't lived up to the book. So, so when we start opening the book, you're going to read through the book of John. And, and John is unique among the gospels because John focuses primarily on things Jesus said. Uh, Mark focuses primarily on things Jesus did. Matthew and Luke have kind of a combination, but John is gonna focus on the teachings of Jesus, on, on Jesus proclaiming truth about himself, about his father, about his relationship to the Holy Spirit. There's gonna be a lot of things that Jesus said, and as Jesus talks, 
the Bible operates as a mirror. We, we look into the mirror and, and we see, okay, I've got a hair out of place, okay? I've got a booger hanging out. I've got, I've got an issue here, right? Like when you look into the mirror, the mirror shows you what's off. And so the mirror of the word of God is, is going to reveal some things to you. And as you see that, you may say, I need to repent. You may feel that tug, that conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying everybody in here is in a place where you're, you're far from God and you need to repent and God's judgment is coming. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is as we look to the word, when we see our life doesn't line up, it's not, our life, it's not the Bible that needs to change. It's our life that needs to change. When, when there's, a, when there's a, a discord there, when there's something that's off. And so when you see something in your life that doesn't line up with the word, take that opportunity and repent. It says that Josiah tore his robes. That was a, a symbol in that day and age of, of agony, of mourning. Man, there's something wrong. I'm tearing my robes. Things are not right because our nation is so far from God. We've missed it so bad. Josiah knew things were bad, but he didn't realize how bad they were until he saw the word. Once he heard what the word had to say, he realized things were much, much worse in his nation than he even had realized. 2 Kings 23, moving on to the next chapter. It says, then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord. I, I love this. He said, you know what? We, we are off. We're not where we need to be. There's some things that don't line up. And our, our ancestors, our forefathers, they made a deal with God. They made a covenant with God. They promised that, that God's going to be their God, and he's going to lead them and watch out for them and take care of them, and they promised they were going to follow. They were going to obey and we have abandoned our covenant. We've spent 60 years rebelling against God, turning from God. We are far from where we're supposed to be. And so, so he felt the need as a nation with everybody gathered together, we're going to renew our covenant. So as you open the book this week, as, as you read, as you begin to get into the book, you may see, I need to renew my covenant. Man, I, I promised God some things in the past that I haven't lived up to. I made some commitments to him that I haven't followed through with. Or, or maybe just flat out, he's not really Lord of my life anymore. I got some other things that are Lord. I got, I got myself on the throne. You may realize, you know what, it's time to renew the covenant. And so as you get into God's word, feel free. You don't have, let me say this too. You don't have to wait till next Sunday or the Sunday after that when, when we give a fresh start invitation and we give you the opportunity to say, you know what, I'm far from God. I want to get right. You can do it right there in your bedroom. You don't need my help. Man, one of the greatest things, one of the greatest signs of maturity, I think, of a believer is that when you're in sin, you hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit from yourself and you deal with it on your own. You don't have to do it at church. Now, I love when people do it here. It gets me fired up and pumped up, and I'm not trying to discourage anybody from, from coming to church to get, get right. But, man, seven days is a long time to carry something. Take it to God on your own. He'll take it off of you. You don't need my help. Uh, that's one of the greatest things so, that, that we can do. So, Renew the covenant. Now, we have different phrases for this. At City Church, we call it making a fresh start with God. Some churches may call it rededicating your life to Christ. Different things that are thrown around. This is really what it is. It's renewing the covenant. God, I made a promise to you. I made a deal with you. You promised to save me. You promised to rescue me. You promised to make me yours. And you've held up your end of the deal. I haven't held up my end, and I'm sorry. But I'm renewing my covenant. I'm picking that promises back up. I'm committing to follow you and to serve you wholeheartedly. Once again, we need to renew the covenant. 
continuing in chapter 23, verse 3. It says, the king stood by the pillar. He renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord. And here's how the, he renewed the covenant. This is what it means. He said, to follow the Lord and keep his commands, his statutes and his decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in the book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. Does your life line up with that verse? Sometimes mine doesn't. It doesn't. And if it doesn't, there's a time for me to renew the covenant. He, he says, I commit to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all my heart, with all my soul. Are you there right now? If you're not, it's okay. I'm not here condemning you. I'm not here pushing you down. I'm, not, I'm, I'm right down here with you. I need to get off the stage and be with you because I'm, I'm not 100% there. But I want to be. Is there something in you that wants that? I believe if you're a Christian, there has to be something in you that wants that. If there's nothing in you that wants that at all, I would question if you've ever really given your life to Jesus. Because if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And when you hear something like that, he's going to prick you and say, yes, this is what I have for you. This is what I'm calling you to. This is what I created you for. There's something in you that leaps. Now, there may be a whole lot of you that pushes back against that because we got some flesh and we got some sin and we got some habits. And we know, hey, if I'm going to give my life fully to him, if I'm going to sell out to him, I'm going to have to get rid of some of this stuff. But, but, but there's a part of you that's just like, yes, that's what I want. And if that's you, man, I encourage you, renew the covenant. Man, renew your commitment to Christ. Don't even wait, man, do it today. And, and as we go through this series, continually renew that covenant. Verse 4 says, the king ordered Hilkiah, the high priest, the priest next in rank, and the doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and all the starry hosts. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley and took the ashes to Bethel. He did away with all the idolatrous priests appointed to the kings of Judah to burn incense on the high places of the towns of Judah and on those around Jerusalem, those who burned incense to Baal to the sun and the moon, to the constellations and all the starry hosts. He took the Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem, and he burned it there. He ground it to powder and scattered the dust over the graves of the common people. He also tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes that were in the temple of the Lord, the quarters where women did weaving for Asherah. Start to get an idea how far... Judah was from God, if you read through that. And I just read it really, really fast. But we, they just spit out multiple false gods, multiple altars, multiple idols, male shrine prostitution in the temple of God. They were so far gone. And Josiah hears the book of the law and he says, you know what? That's it. It's done. We're not messing with this anymore. We're destroying this. We're getting rid of this. I've got a responsibility as the king of this nation, as the leader of this people. We're going to take care of it. And so here's number four thing I think we can see from the story. As we, we return to the book, I must wage war against the idols I have allowed in my life. So you probably don't have an Asherah pole, and you probably don't have an altar to Baal, and you probably don't have prostitution at the temple. Like, like, you're probably not doing those things, right? And it's easy for us to just kind of distance ourselves from it and say, you, right? Like, that's kind of, it's just gross. Like, how would you even do that? How do you even end up there? But I believe that, that we're all capable and, and really good, actually, at producing idols in our heart. In fact, I think it was the theologian John Calvin who said that the human heart is an idol factory. That, that we're just constantly finding something to create to give our heart to rather than Jesus. 
something that, that, that we sell out to, whether it be our work or our family or our education, our, our finances, uh, our pleasure, our hobbies, anything. And, and that can look in so many different ways. And, and mine are probably going to look different than yours, but all of us are, are really good at creating those idols in our heart. And so when you recognize those idols, man, I'm giving myself too hard to this thing. Uh, I've created too much attention, too much time. Like I'm giving this so much of me. It's got too high of a place in my heart. When you recognize that, it's the example of Josiah. It's not, well, I need to reprioritize and bring this back. Man, deal with it. Now, obviously, if it's your family, I'm not like saying destroy your family so you can give your heart to Jesus. Like, right? Like, obviously, we, we have to. Apply this intelligently. Uh, use some wisdom here. But it does mean that we need to attack that stuff. In other words, not just, oh, man, I, I guess I got some work to do. Oh, man, I guess I got, I got to try and get this fixed. Man, God, I've allowed this thing to be bigger than you, and that's not okay. And I'm going to go to war with it right now. I'm going to get this back to the place where it needs to be, and I'm going to fix it. As you open the book, as you, as you study God's word, as you reacquaint yourself with the book of John, I encourage you to go to war with the idols in your heart. Go to war with the idols in your life. I don't know what they are. I don't know what they look like. But God's going to reveal them to you, especially if you ask him to. You say, God, show me what, what is between me and you. Show me what I've given too much of my time, my heart, my emphasis, my, my priority to, my love, my adulation. He'll reveal it to you. And if it is a good thing, like it's your wife, keep your wife. Just get your priorities straight, right? Like he'll help you to get that in order to where he's number one in your life again. Verse 12, he continues his war against the idols. says, he pulled down the altars the kings of Judah had erected on the roof near the upper room of Ahaz and the altars Manasseh, his grandfather, had built in the two courts of the temple of the Lord. He removed them from there, smashed them to pieces, and threw the rubble into the Kidron Valley. The king also desecrated the high places that were east of Jerusalem on the south of the hill of corruption, the one Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the vile goddess of the Sidonians, the Shemash and Shemash, the vile God of Moab, and for Melech, the detestable God of the people of Ammon. Josiah smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles and covered the sites with human bones. He went to work. He went to war. And I think sometimes we're too tolerant of the sin in our lives. Sometimes we realize, yeah, that's, that's a problem. I need, to, I need to do something about that. That's not God's best. And we just kind of let it linger. And when we look at, at the people who sold out for God in Scripture, they went to war with sin. They went, they went to war with it. said, I'm not going to let any trace of this linger in my life. I'm getting rid of it. And I'd encourage you to, to go to war with the idols in your heart. Just like I was sitting there struggling with a lawnmower that could push itself. Just I was struggling to lead a nation. When he already had the instruction manual, he just didn't know it. And once he rediscovered the instruction manual and began to look into the book, all of a sudden he knew exactly what needed to be done. All of a sudden he knew how to reset it. And, and if you read the story of Josiah, man, it, it, the, the nation of Judah had one of its greatest periods of revival under his leadership. It was one of the, the greatest sets of, uh, I think he reigned for about 35 years. His reign was one of the greatest reigns the people of Judah had ever had. It wasn't just Josiah who got right with God, but him getting right with God caused others to get right with God. 
the, the nation was happy, it was successful, it, it was blessed in his season of reign. Why? Because all of a sudden they had the engine to, to, to push through the changes that needed to be made. If you're here today and, and you've been trying to white knuckle your way through following Jesus and I just got to fix this thing and I got to beat this addiction and I got to get rid of this issue in my life. I don't think that's God's plan or his design. God's not calling you to, to hate yourself or to hate life. Uh, he says, look, I'm going to give you the strength. I'm going to give you the power. I'm not going to call you to anything that I'm not going to give you the capability to do. Doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. Doesn't mean it's always going to be fun. But I think one of the reasons why so many of us miss out on God's best is because we're just not taking advantage of what's right there for us. And if we'd feed ourselves, if we'd eat, if we'd be in the word, some of these situations that we're facing, start mowing right over them. Start realizing, man, this isn't so difficult after all. I don't have to dread doing this. Man, I can actually enjoy this. I can actually take pride in a lawn that looks good. Instead of waiting two and a half weeks until I absolutely have to cut it before somebody, like, complains to the government about me, right? It's the strength that God wants us to have. Almost done, guys. Almost there. Second Kings chapter 20, the second half of the verse, says, Then he went back to Jerusalem. The king gave this order to all the people. Celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant. Neither in the days of the judges who led Israel nor in the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah had any such Passover been observed. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. The fifth thing that I think we must do when we reacquaint ourselves with the book is I must celebrate Jesus. I must celebrate Jesus. You see, to the, to the people of Judah, when they celebrated the Passover, they were celebrating what God had done for Moses, right? They, they were celebrating that the angel of death had passed over them, that, that their oldest son was allowed to live, that God rescued them from slavery in Egypt. That's what they were celebrating. What they didn't know is that the Passover was foreshadowing Jesus, that, that, the, that Jesus was going to come. To, to be the Messiah, to rescue them from their sins, that, that death would pass over us, that we don't have to spend eternity apart from God, that we can spend eternity with him because of Christ. So ultimately, they were celebrating Jesus. They just didn't know it. We get to celebrate Jesus, and we don't have to celebrate the Passover to do it, although I don't think there's anything wrong with celebrating Passover. But Jesus instituted a celebration of what he did for us. We call it communion. Some call it the Lord's Supper. And we're going to take a few minutes, and we're going to celebrate what Jesus did. We're going to celebrate that Jesus died for my sin and for yours. We're, we're going to remember one of the things that we've done the last couple of years here at City Church that, that I love, and I wish we'd have done even before that, is, is we decided, you know what, Memorial Day weekend, as we remember all these men and women who laid down their lives for us, we're going to take communion. Because communion to me is the best way for us to come back to the sacrifice Jesus made for my freedom. There's nothing else that brings me just face-to-face, smack to the cross, like communion. And so we're going to partake here in just a second. And uh, the Bible is very clear. This is for those of us who, who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. If that's not you today, I, I would give you two options. First option is call upon the Lord to be saved. Uh, you don't even need my help to do it. Right there at your seat, you can say, you know what? I don't know how to get from where I am to where you are, God, but, but I know I want to serve you. I know I want to be yours. I know I'm, I've sinned and I repent of my sin and I give my life to you. And if you do that, he's going to fill you with his spirit. He's going to begin to lead you and guide you and, and bring you into his family. And then you can partake with us. If, if you're not ready for that, if that's not a step you want to take, 
that's between you and God, I'd invite you just to stay at your seat as others come up to receive the elements. Uh, this is the only thing that we do that we're like, this is only for Christians. Uh, but it is something the Bible is very clear about. So, so don't partake in this if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But if you do, I'm going to ask the first two rows on either side, if you guys would stand up, come down, grab a, a piece of bread and a cup. Um, if you are gluten-free, there's a gluten-free option on the speaker over on this side. So if you need the gluten-free bread, make sure and come over on this side. Once a couple people have sat down, then the next couple rows can come. And then head back to your seat. Spend some time getting right with God if you need to, man. Begin to talk to God. Thank him for Jesus. Celebrate what Jesus has done in your life. Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul records for us, you, you can have a seat, the Apostle Paul records for us what God spoke to him, which is also recorded in the Gospels about communion. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, go ahead and take the bread in your right hand. And it says, and he gave thanks and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It never ceases to amaze me that Jesus Christ is facing betrayal from one of his best friends. He, he knows what he's about to experience. He knows the whips in his back. He knows the thorns in his skull. He knows the nails through his wrist and through his foot. He knows the weight of the sin of the world. He knows the pain of separation from his father. He knows everything that he's about to face. And as he gets ready to do it, he sits down with his 12 closest friends in the world. And he says, I just want you to remember. I'm going to die. I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm going to stand in your place so that you don't have to pay the price for your sin. And I'm simply asking you to remember. I think we can honor that request of Jesus today, can't we? That we can remember the pain he went through for me, the suffering that he experienced for, for my sin, that he was sinless and perfect, and yet he chose to stand in our place so that we can have a relationship with the Father. It's a beautiful thing. It's an incredible thing. It's a somber thing to, 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 to realize that someone would do that for us. And today we're going to celebrate. We're going to remember as we head to Memorial Day that Jesus died for our freedom. Amen? If you hold the bread in your right hand, we're going to pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. 
I thank you that Jesus laid down his life for me, that he was willing to let his body be broken so that I could be right with you, so that I could be your child, so that I could have eternity with you. Lord, we all thank you for this. We thank you that you have made this possible for us. We celebrate Jesus today. We remember the cross. We honor this request that Jesus made that we would not forget what he's done. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. You can take the bread. Verse 25 says, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you take the cup in your right hand with me? The beauty of the cup is the cup obviously represents the blood of Jesus. Now, we don't believe this is actually his blood. We, we don't think that we would pray over it. It becomes his blood. This is just a, a symbol of the blood of Jesus. It's going to taste like grape juice when you drink it. Because uh, that's what it is. But, it, but it's a reminder to us of his blood that, that washes away our sin. And I love that it says it's the new covenant in his blood. In other words, the, the old law has passed away and now God has established grace. Instead of uh, having to make a sacrifice to cover your sin, Jesus came to be the sacrifice forever so that all your sin is paid for, so that all your sin is washed away. And not only does it pay the price for our sin, it actually has the power to free us from sin. We're not condemned to be sinners anymore. We don't have to live according to the flesh anymore. We have the ability to live to God's best because of the blood of Jesus. Will you take it with me as we pray and celebrate? Father God, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. God, we thank you that this blood has not lost its power, that is just as effective today as it was 2,000 years ago, that is just as effective in, in our lives as it was in the lives of the disciples. God, we thank you that this blood makes us right with you. Nothing we could do, nothing we ever will do can make us right with you, God, but this blood has paid that price. So, God, we ask that, that, that spiritually we would just be washed afresh and anew today. God, that we would sense that we are right with you because of the blood of Jesus, that we stand pure, righteous, and holy before you. God, wash us clean, free us of any junk in our lives, help us to just put to death the idols in our life, God, that we can fully follow you, fully sell out to you. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for shedding your blood on the cross for us. And we worship you today. It's in Jesus' name. You can take the cup. You set your cup down. Would you stand and worship with us for just a moment? Let's ask God to lead us to the cross. Let's celebrate the one who died for us.